Hello, and welcome to Creepy Core and Folklore, the show about creatures, encounters, old tales, and myths. I'm your host, Iona Wayland, a dark fantasy author, mental health professional, and overall curious person. I want to join other spooky souls and hear about these unusual stories. Hello and welcome or welcome back. This is episode four and I'm feeling like I'm starting to get into the groove of things. Uh, Luckily this time I'm not trying to record while my child is napping. I'm in a totally separate room uh, in like a professional (laughs) Um, while she's getting cared for by a family member. I this time was really curious about Um, haunted and cursed graves, uh, specifically in the U.S. Um, I'd be curious to know what other haunted and cursed graves there are um, when it comes to other countries other than the U.S., because I'm sure that there are lots of other places that have these legends surrounding these grave sites. I also thought that what I found for each of these, I'm going to go over three, and for each of them, I have like my own thoughts as to why maybe there are stories around it um, other than the supernatural because of course like you can't prove or disprove the supernatural and it's really fun to speculate on what could be going on but I also think that there were some social things going on as well with each of these burial grounds. So the first one that I'm going to talk about is the Iowa Black Angel. There are several rumors that kind of swirl around this grave. So the Black Angel is actually a monument that was like overlooking a grave site. And it is nine feet tall on a four foot pedestal. So it is absolutely massive. It's wearing a hood and it has drooping wings and a head that looks down. So it's a very unusual looking angel with regards to the Western beliefs of what angels look like. Basically like head cannon angels look like Adonis's, whereas like traditional actual angels look pretty horrifying. So, uh, but that's a whole other rant for another time that I do think that I would like to go over different ways that like historically the traditional angel and demon might look like. That's an idea for a different episode. But this is more of a humanoid looking angel that looks odd with regards to Western ideals, I think. So one of the rumors is that an evil or wicked woman caused the angel to darken and become blackened. Another is after the woman died that the monument was struck by lightning and that's what changed its color another rumor is that a man put this angel over his wife's grave but because of her unfaithfulness that it changed color another one is that a preacher's son is buried there and it became blackened because the preacher had murdered his son Then there are some regarding like kind of like romance or like couples because we all know like (laughs) 
a horse, a good horror story is when um, people are like necking and then get murdered, uh, you know, casual like. Um, so some of that is that like if coeds kiss in front of the angel, that they will die um, within seven years, I believe. And then another one is that if a girl uh, gets kissed near her in the moonlight, she'll die within six months. Um, <laughs> also, why are all of these co-ed? That's so strange. Like, what if it's a same-sex couple or a femme-femme couple? Like, what's going to happen? <laughs> like, this doesn't hold up. Another one, because, you know, everyone's obsessed with virginity for whatever reason, is if a virgin is kissed in front of it, then it'll return to its original color, which is just so silly to me. Oh, another one of these is if you touch the angel at midnight, it means death in seven years. Uh, another one is anyone who kisses the angel directly will die instantly, which is just very dramatic. Um, another one is every passing Halloween causes the angel to turn a shade darker as a reminder of the people she has killed. Because apparently, like, people will say that they see the angel flying around and killing people, um... But, you know, what really is the story behind the Iowa Black Angel? So, contrary to the rumors, it was actually commissioned by Teresa Dolezal Feldwart, and it was made in 1912. So, Teresa was a bohemian, like, which was the Czech, is the Czech Republic now, immigrant to Iowa City with her son, Eddie Polizal. Unfortunately, Eddie died of meningitis at the age of 18. Um, And so after her son's death, she actually commissioned a monument of a tree stump with an axe out of like cut into it. And it's supposed to symbolize symbolize a life cut short. So that was the first monument that is very indicative of like which is not very typical of American culture, but it sounds like it is potentially a symbol that's frequently used in the Czech Republic back in the day. Maybe even still now, that would be something interesting to research. However, when her husband died, and it's not known if he is her second or third husband, but when her husband, Nicholas Feldvert, died, he left an estate to her of $30,000, which I believe is about 800000 now. And she used some of that money to, again, commission someone to make a monument for him. So this particular person that she commissioned was Mario Corbell, and he was also a native of Bohemia. Um, and she wanted this angel to watch over her husband and her son since it was going to be looking out over it was going to be looking down at her husband and son and keeping watch over them which is why it has the tilted and lowered gaze and eventually when she passed um she was buried beneath the angel as well so this angel what so there's the tree stump of the life cut short for her son and then the angel watches over all three of them which i think is just such a lovely um way to symbolize protection So another truth behind the color is that it was actually commissioned 
as a bronze statue. And as bronze oxidizes, it eventually turns black. And a really good example of this, of oxidation, is like the Statue of Liberty. Um, I know the Statue of Liberty turned green, but originally the Statue of Liberty, when it was given as a gift to us from France, was copper. And over time it oxidized and has that mint green look. And it's the same thing that happens to pennies. Pennies have a lot of copper in them. And old pennies, if you ever find an old lucky penny, they will have that green appearance as well. So this is very similar to that. It, the bronze got oxidized and it became blackened. Another thing that comes to mind uh, that when I think about maybe why there were so many rumors around this angel um, is that she was a physician in her home country and she traveled to America Having been married previously, she has a really, like, pronounced job, and she was a single parent traveling abroad with her son and starting a whole life by herself anew. All of these things show that she was a very independent woman, and it sounds like the fact that what was brought up in a couple articles was that they didn't know if her husband was her second or third husband still shows to me that it was kind of like the things she was doing were not like socially normal during those times and maybe even a little bit scandalous or fun to talk about um, because she was going against the grain and something else to think about too is that this woman was wealthy and successful and was able to keep her husband's estate after he died unlike what we talked about previously with Henry Philip Hope's wife in 1939. But this is 28 years earlier than when he died in 1939. This is 1911, and she was able to keep her husband's estate and use that money as she decided to use it. So I really think that this woman was super independent, incredible, was intelligent, and was going kind of against the grain of society. And that's perhaps why her monument, which also does take on a the appearance of a non-Americanized angel, all of these things clumped together to create a very rumored, seemingly haunted statue. So that was just something to think about there. And it made me really like Teresa. Um, it, it made me kind of be like, yeah, you go, girl. Like, look at you living your life how you want to live it. Even despite all of the losses that she had. So the next one I want to talk about is Midnight Mary. It's not quite a monument in this case, but it is her grave and her spirit in particular that is said to haunt the Evergreen Cemetery within New Haven, Connecticut. So this woman, Mary E. Hart, was rumored that after a, quote, swoon, so I guess she fainted, she then died. And one of her relatives had very vivid nightmares after her burial, and they were insistent that they exhume her body. And apparently once she was exhumed, there were scratch marks and damaged fingertips. Although 
even though this is the rumor behind it, there aren't actual, there isn't actual documentation of it or any kind of documentation that there was an exhumation at all. And what's interesting about her headstone is that it has a unique pink color and it has unique writings on it. And it reads, at high noon, just from and about to renew her daily work in her full strength of body and mind, Mary E. Hart, having fallen prostrate, remained unconscious until she died at midnight. So this is like kind of long and is kind of an obituary. It, it kind of reads like that. October 15th, 1872 to December 16th, 1824. Wait a minute. That can't be right. 1924. Whoops. <laughs> she would have been negative at a negative age. Um, and then there's quotes underneath that say, the people shall be troubled at midnight and pass away. So because of the headstone, it caused similar urban legends as the angel, the black angel, where that people would uh, see, reportedly see her wandering around and pointing at people or sobbing or um, causing people's deaths. There was also, of course, like co-ed kissing type rumors that are very, very similar to the black angel. But what's really interesting is that that particular quote, the people shall be troubled at midnight and pass away, is actually from the Bible, specifically Job 34.20. And there's just like a couple things that come to mind with this. It's like really scary when someone is suddenly there and then someone suddenly isn't. Like, I'm pretty sure that this woman was 42. That's not old at all. And she had so much life ahead of her. And for her to pass away quite suddenly like this and seemingly in front of people, I'm sure that it caused a lot of trauma to her family members and to the town that she lived in. So I think that maybe this is part of why there's a lot of rumors surrounding her burial and surrounding her death. And I'm sure that there were there were family members of her that had nightmares about her passing away and going through these different, the pendulum that is grief. They're going through all these different mixed emotions and reactions and their body and brain are trying to process it. Of course, it's going to result in nightmares and fears and urban legends. So that was just something that came to mind and me speculating on why potentially she has rumors of being a haunted soul. The last one I'm covering is the Vanderbilt tomb. It's actually in Moravian Cemetery in Staten Island at the bottom of Todd Hill. I don't know if I'm saying the name correctly. Um, but overall, the Moravian Cemetery is 113 acres. It's said to be absolutely gorgeous. There's like lakes and it's well manicured and there's beautiful trees. I think the Vanderbilts made such an intense uh, mark on the U.S. because they kind of were like the epitome of the American dream, so to speak. Um, because originally Cornelius Vanderbilt was like self-made. He... Um, 
He became like one of the wealthiest Americans of the 19th century. Originally, he worked for his father and he operated like a cargo ferry. So he worked the ferry, a cargo ferry specifically. And then like as he got older, he worked with like steamships and then eventually he moved on to different kinds of transportation like railroad and making railroads and making that more efficient. And like when he died, he was worth more than a hundred million dollars. And I think just knowing that someone went like that whole rags to riches thing um, is something that people like talking about. Like it's a, a nice story to hear about. It's fun because it's good to like think about someone like quote deserving their wealth. Although reportedly a lot of the um, Vanderbilt family now I don't think are um, even millionaires. Although I don't know why I'm saying it like that because I'm like nowhere close to that either. Um, I don't know. It's like they're not even millionaires. Like why am I saying this? Um, so I'm not trying to pick on them. This is not like a critique. It's just interesting that there was kind of like a spike in wealth only within like one or two generations that didn't carry on since then, reportedly. But Cornelius Vanderbilt uh, was very prolific and one of the wealthiest Americans slash families of all time in America. He donated eight and a half acres. And then William Henry Vanderbilt, I believe his son, donated four acres. So when William was alive, he wanted to build a mausoleum. And it was built by the famous 19th century architect Richard Morris Hunt. And this tomb was constructed from 1885 to 1886. It stands at three stories tall, and it's actually a replica of a Romanesque church in France. So Cornelius and seven other family members are buried there. However, I mean, they're nothing if not exclusive. There's a wrought iron gate that makes it closed off to the public. And I believe every four years it opens up for the Vanderbilt family to visit their uh, deceased ancestors slash relatives. Because of its exclusivity and how unique the construction is, there are many people who trespass. Um, There's even a woman who was said to have been killed instantly by trying to climb the wrought iron gate and the wrought iron gate fell on her. Many people report seeing a strange light in the shape of a woman who people have conjecture about maybe this was the woman who was killed by the gate. There's also tales of a man in a gray suit said to chase people away if they trespass or get too close to the mausoleum and they are not related to the people inside. And people speculate that because of the tailored suit and because of the hat and cane that he's wearing, it's very traditional garb and they think that it's Cornelius himself. The most reported of all of these things, though, are how pictures taken at the place, which I'm just like, don't take pictures outside of a mausoleum. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's kind of in poor taste, but then I also understand like being in awe of the architecture. So I can kind of see where the thought is there. And it is said to be in a very beautiful spot, but we got to like treat some burial places with respect here. Um, but a lot of people, when they take pictures, are 
said to have like the little light orbs in them and then also the addition or subtraction of people so like if they were taking a picture of someone and there's someone in the background when they look at the photo there's no one there or vice versa they take a picture and there's an extra person there who they don't know who's kind of photo bombing or disembodied heads just floating at like head level as if the rest of the body has is invisible and only the head is visible so very creepy stuff and i just think that potentially all these rumors and stuff come from this family being um rags to riches and just kind of like a household name like the vanderbilt name and i think that when people think about like a big wealthy family they might speculate like what goes on behind closed doors and they also might speculate what goes on in that particular person's afterlife especially when they live in a three-story tall mausoleum i don't know why i said live in a three-story tall they are not living in a three-story tall french romanesque mausoleum and those are kind of just my thoughts on that about why maybe there are rumors surrounding this mausoleum and i actually have a mausoleum story of my own this is a story that i've shared on my author instagram like a couple years ago and people were like what the hell is happening (laughs) so i thought maybe i'd share it here but uh growing up my grandmother used to take us to something called the block place and we loved it um my sister and i thought it was like a playground slash park but really the block place (laughs) was a cemetery um that was local to where we lived and the blocks were actually headstones but like we weren't aware of that so i want to say i was probably four or five and my sister was two or three And, you know, a super casual fun thing to do in a cemetery is play hide and seek. But it was my sister's and my favorite game. So the rule that I still stand by if I'm ever in charge of young children um, is that if someone can't find them, you have to like if the seeker is out looking and they can't find someone, the rule is the, the seeker says, say peep. And then the person who's hiding automatically wins because it's kind of like the seeker forfeits it. And the hider has to say, peep. And so that's how to keep everyone safe. Also applaud the hider if they're really good at hiding and they don't have to be a loser. I don't know if they, if everyone else gives up. So on one of these days in the block place, we lost my sister. Um, So... We looked everywhere for her. We checked under the willow trees. We checked behind tombstones. We we went through the twisty trees and we're like freaking out and heaven help the people that were grieving because it's like, we're just, my grandmother and I are just frantically screaming, say peep, say peep. And I'm like, I remember other people being there and I'm sure that it wasn't to play in the block place like us like us heathens. So we're running around trying to find her. And very faintly, we hear peep, but it was echoey. And so we're like, say peep again. And she goes, peep. And we're, we got closer and closer. And the echoing was coming 
from the inside of a mausoleum. So just for context, my sister used to be really, really thin as a kid, like really skinny. And she actually had to drink like Pediasure and be on like a special diet and stuff. So she had a little skinny body, but she had like a giant little kid head. And what had happened is she had gotten into the mausoleum. And then when it was time for her to come out, she got her head stuck in the little bars in the mausoleum. So she, when we found her, she was like, peep, peep, I'm stuck. And we're like, we know that you're stuck. Like we can see you, your body wiggling around on the outside and your head stuck in the bars. And she said, I was just trying to hide in the dollhouse because <laughs> it looked like a little house made out of cement. Um, and I still like, don't remember how we got her out of there. Like I remember doing something like where she had to like fold her ears and like squeeze through or whatever. But ever since then, it was really sad because we never played in the block place again. (laughs) It's probably for the best, but I remember being really upset about it. (laughs) And then when I learned what cemeteries were and that the block place was not in fact a playground or a park, I was horrified. (laughs) But I just thought I'd share that mausoleum story because it was ridiculous. But I'd love to hear about like anyone else's like urban legends when it comes to local cemeteries or rural legends when it comes to like maybe private cemeteries. I know that that happens more in the rural areas or in the um, higher social class folks that they'll sometimes have private cemeteries. I know some churches have it, so it would be really interesting to hear about different people's experiences with that. Of course, like if you have your own stories, you can, um, I'll have the information in the details below and in the outro, Um, but I have an email set up for you to send those my way because I'd love to hear people's like haunted or cursed stories especially when it comes to people who are supposed to have passed, but maybe their soul is still sticking around. I hope everyone's doing okay, whatever day, time, year that they're listening to this, and I will see you next time. Thanks to all you spooky souls out there for listening to Creepy Core and Folklore. Follow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok if you're looking for more uncanny content. If you have your own tales to tell, you can email creepycoreandfolklore at gmail.com. If you liked this, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, or tell a friend who might enjoy these stories to spread the word. If you're interested in dark fantasy, check out my Hollowverse series. Ashes is available now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and audiobook on Audible, and the sequel is underway. I'm Iona Wayland and I'll see you next time.